Our Bible reading today is John chapter 17, starting at verse 20. In verses 1 to 19 of this chapter, Jesus prayed for those who became disciples during his ministry on earth, and so he continues to pray for the other disciples. My prayer is not for them alone. I also pray for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them as you have loved me. Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you loved me before the, founder, before the creation of the world. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you and they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and I myself may also be in them. This is God's word. Friends, good morning. It's good to be together. And uh, on this theme, thinking about the theme of being one in Christ and... um, uh, just looking around here, people of different ages, uh, different cultural backgrounds, uh, different educational uh, experiences and different workplaces. And it's so beautiful that we gather in Jesus' name as one. And um, I want to pray that God would speak to us and encourage us, conscious that Christ prayed for us. Lord God, we thank you for your love. We thank you for the forgiveness we have through the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you that we now have abundant life looking forward to eternal life, and uh, you now call us to so live that the world would be persuaded that you are Lord and Saviour. And so we pray, God, that you would speak to us, correct us, train us, encourage us, and motivate us to keep pursuing unity for the glory of your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Friends, it was some time ago that a pastor wrote this piece, Uh, Max Lucado quotes it, and I I, I've adapted the, um, the story a little bit to make it a little bit more Australian than American. It went like this. And it said, a pastor uh, came upon a man who was holding a Bible. And he went, wow, I wonder if he's a believer too. Are you a believer, I asked him. Yes, he said excitedly. I've learned you can't be too careful though. Do you believe in a virgin birth? I accept it, yes. The deity of Jesus, no doubt. He thinks, could, I, could it be true that I'd be facing a true Christian? Maybe I've met a true Christian. Nonetheless, I continue my checklist. Status of man, sin in need of grace. Definition of grace, God doing for man what man can't do. Return of Christ, imminent. The Bible, oh, it's inspired, he said. The church, the body of Christ. I started getting excited. Conservative or liberal? He, he got interested as well. Conservative, he said. My heart began to beat faster. Heritage. This is my adaptation. New South Wales Baptist from way back. Oh, that was mine, he said. What's your branch? 
reformed NIV 2011 version, purpose-driven, five M's. He said, my eyes missed it up. Only one other question. Is your pulpit wooden or fiberglass? <laughs> fiberglass, he responded. I withdrew my hand, stiffened my neck. Heretic, I said, and walked away. <laughs> Far-fetched, he says. If so, only a little. And you'll know, I wonder how many churches have been divided on the color of the carpets in their new building. Or the paint they were going to use to do something else. Or the way they, they place things in a building. So often there are terrible stories of disunity, not from the gospel, but because of stupidity. Someone would say, and I think Lakata said, you know, suspicion and distrust often lurks at God's table. Multiple denominations. Baptists distrust the Anglicans. The Church of Christ avoids the Presbyterians. Everyone distrusts the Uniting Church. My apologies to all the Uniting Church people out there. But Jesus prays, 17 verse 20. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. I love the fact that Jesus, the night before, he goes to his death, right? He's looking forward and he's praying for not only himself, we saw last week, and for his disciples, the apostles, but he looked forward to those who would believe through that message. And I think it's a deeply moving section because Jesus' prayer uh, brings him in direct relationship with us here today in 2022. He looks out and gazes beyond the centuries. He sees the church gathered from every nation, people, language, and tribe. He sees us gathered as Nawi Baptist Church today, and he prays for us. It's a very special prayer. You see, we have an expanding circle of witnesses in chapter 17, 20 to 23. Jesus looks not only to the believers, though, but he looks to the unconverted. He looks forward to many more coming to believe the gospel, and I think we need to be praying in the same way that many more would now hear this message and be converted. So what does he pray? Firstly, three things this morning. The first one, he prays that the church may be united, that they all may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me. There's this inter interplay of Jesus and the Father and the relationship, and somehow in that beautiful unity, he wants the church to reflect that unity, that they may be brought to complete unity. Not, not a mild form of unity, not a little bit of unity, but complete unity. Then the world will know that you set me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Those who will believe through the message of the existing disciples. The first petition is that it may all be one. And he uses the language, the relationship of the Father and the Son, just as you're in me and I am in you, uh, that we, the believers, would be in both, in us. It's a beautiful thing. And Don Carson puts it this way, the unity to be enjoyed by Christ's disciples is a unity based on a mutual indwelling. The indwelling of the Spirit in each of them and their living in God, dependent upon Him, obedient to Him, maintaining the sacred gospel entrusted to them by which they are saved. This is at once the experience and the commitment of every true believer. <clears throat> God desires a oneness, a supernatural unity between us. Friends, we are all different. 
We are all very different. Husbands and wives are different. Parents and children are different. But God wants to do a supernatural work in his church that we're united, we're on the same page, where it is the gospel that brings us together, our faith in Christ. doesn't matter which football team, team you support. And last night, if I've got a little bit of a cough, I was freezing up on the hill at Cogra Oval last night, watching Sydney FC take out the Wanderers 3-2. Right? Just had to throw that in. Uh, <coughs> I should have taken an extra two jackets up on that hill. It doesn't matter who you are, what sporting team you support. And uh, some Dragons fans, some Bulldogs fans, and there may be some other terms you may support as well. In Christ, because of Christ, we have a new beautiful relationship with each other. And then he says this, this is interesting. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one. What does he mean? I have given them the glory that you gave me. What is the nature of the glory which the Father gave the Son? Well, we saw it last week, didn't we? It's the glory of humiliation of the incarnation. God becomes man. The perfect one takes upon human frailty. That's humiliation. That's condescension. God comes and lives amongst us. And we talk about his glorification at the crucifixion. We saw last week that there is glory in his death. And then there's glory in the resurrection and the exalted state. And as believers, we now perceive that glory. We also possess that glory, he says. And so glory in John centers on lowly service. When he says we have received his glory, it means we've learned to serve like him, to be humble, to lift others up, to be suffering servants of Christ as Jesus was. William Barclay comments, we must never think of our cross as our penalty. We must think of it as our glory. The harder the task we give a student or craftsman or a surgeon, the more we honor him. So when it is hard to be a Christian, we must regard it as our glory, as our honor given to us by God. God's giving you his glory, he says. The glory is to be like Jesus in his suffering and in his death. And our oneness needs perfecting. May that be brought to complete unity. We possess a unity in Christ. But you and I know, well, I'm, I maybe I know more than all of you, because I know some people haven't talked to each other for a long time, maybe had fallen out, had an argument, or people who used to be close in home groups are no longer close, and uh, they're distant from one another. And you know that in your own families and your own Christian friends and so on. People you maybe you, you did life with 10 years ago, you know, just sit on opposite sides of the building maybe. People you used to serve with, you no longer serve with. Now, some of you may not have any of those broken relationships, but most of us have some level of brokenness, and God calls us to oneness. Well, this week at the Oscars, Will Smith took offense at a joke by a comedian, Chris Rock, and his wife. Um, We'll just keep that picture up there for a little while. He calmly, seemingly calmly, walked up onto the stage, and I don't know what was going through his head at that point as he was walking up, and slapped the comedian. A physical assault live on our screens. Not a smart move. Ongoing repercussions for him and his life and his family and others around him. One decision. Creates terrible disunity. But he apologized the next day. He said, violence in all of its forms is poisonous and destructive. 
My behaviour at last night's Academy Awards was unacceptable and inexcusable. Jokes at my expense are a part of the job, but a joke about Jada's medical condition was too much for me to bear, and I, and I reacted emotionally. I would like to apologise publicly to you, Chris. I was out of line and I was wrong. I'm embarrassed and my actions were not indicative of the man I want to be. There's no place for violence in the world of love and kindness. I'd also like to apologise to the Academy, the producers of the show, all the attendees, and everyone watching around the world. I would like to apologise to the Williams family and to my King Richard family. I deeply regret that my behaviour has stained what has been an otherwise gorgeous journey for all of us. I am a work in progress, sincerely, Will. If this happened in church, would you hit out at the person who insulted your spouse? And then if they apologized and they hit your spouse, would you forgive them? Would you put your arm around them and hug them and make up? Would you sit in church together the first opportunity you had after that embarrassment and shame in front of the world? Would you then go to lunch together? Would you then pray together? Meet in your home group together? Would you? Jesus prays for complete unity. Are you in? No matter what it costs. During the Balkan crisis many years ago, the evangelist, uh, Australian evangelist Kim Hawtrey uh, mentioned in one of his books that he spoke at a Yugoslavian church in Sydney. At that stage when we had the, uh, the Yugoslavia and within uh, you'd be aware that uh, the former Yugoslavia then uh, divided up into multiple nations like Croatia and Serbia and Macedonia and Kosovo and, and so on. And, um, and in that church were Croatians as he was preaching and Serbians, Macedonians, while back home they were killing one another. Terrible massacres. And there they were, the believers were together, gathered in Jesus' name. And he said, how does this work, guys? How can you be in the same place when some of your family members are struggling back home, had to leave homes, being bombed out of the places? They simply said, we are brothers. We are brothers in Christ. That makes a difference. Uh, Francis Schaeffer wrote a little book called The Mark of a Christian. And in it, he tells a story because it talks about what... And the mark of the Christian, by the way, is love for one another. And that's the sign that Jesus said, when you love one another, all men will know that you're my disciples. If you love one another, that's John 13, 34 and 35. And so he picks up that theme and he says, let me give an example of what happened in Germany under Nazi Germany. It said there were the brethren groups. Uh, let me give an example in the brethren groups, uh, Christian denomination there. It says, in order to control the church, Hitler commanded the union of all the religious groups in Germany, drawing them together by law. The brethren divided over this issue. Half accepted Hitler's dictum, half refused. So we're not going to listen to Hitler. The other said, we will listen to Hitler. The ones who submitted to Hitler had an easier time. But gradually, in this organizational oneness with the liberal groups, their own doctrinal sharpness and spiritual life withered. On the other hand, the group that stayed out remained spiritually viral, uh, virile, and there was hardly a family in which someone did not die in a German concentration camp. So these Christians, these brethren who associated with Hitler, they had a safe time. 
But you stayed firm to Jesus and you didn't join the Nazis. You said, no, no, we will keep worshipping the true Jesus and you die or your family members die. That was their situation. So can you imagine the emotional tension? The war is now over. These Christian brothers now face each other again. They had the same doctrine previously. They worked together for more than a generation. What's going to happen now between them? One member remembers that his father died in a concentration camp and knows that these people in the other group remain safe. It's tense. The church comes together after the war. What do they do? So these brothers then came together, the different parts of the, the Brethren church there. And they said, what shall we do? We're going to gather to meet. And we're just going to seek God for a period of time. He said, what did you do? They said, well, I'll tell you what we did. We came together, we set aside several days in which each man would search his own heart. The emotions were deep. My father had gone to the concentration camp. My mother was dragged away, said one person. These were not just little pebbles on the beach. They reach into the deepest wellspring of human emotions. These people understood the command of Christ about this, and for several days, every man and woman did nothing except search his own heart concerning his own failures and the commands of Christ. Then they met together. Francis Schaeffer says, I asked the man, what happened? He said, we were just one. We were just one. To my mind, he says, this is exactly what Jesus speaks about. The Father has sent the Son. Friends, today, Russian Christians, you want to pray for something about oneness, are divided. Many Russian Christians and the Orthodox churches and others think Putin is doing the right thing by going to war. Others are protesting and being arrested uh, because he is going to war against Ukraine. I wonder what will happen post the end of the war. We have members in our church who are Russian and one woman said to me, he said, my family back home is divided. I'm against what Putin is doing and they think it's probably a good thing from what they are hearing in their country and in their churches. The church leaders are divided. And you wonder why so few people want to follow Jesus. Jesus prayed that we would be one, we would be united love and mercy. But let me say it is a unity of all true believers. We're just not talking about getting anyone who calls himself a Christian and we're united. We are united around people who believe that Jesus was God's son who died and rose again for us. We believe that those, uh, we're in partnership with those who believe the Holy Spirit come to indwell us, indwell in us to live this new life. If they don't believe that Jesus is God's son, they don't believe that he died in our place, they don't believe in the resurrection, if they start to teach sexual morality, which is different to what the Bible's morality, there is a place where you can't have fellowship with those who are outside of the true church. It's unity around the gospel. The Apostle Paul wrote Galatians 1, but even if an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let him be eternally condemned. We're not just saying, no, no, oh, well, just, well, it's all the same. It doesn't matter what you believe. No, no, no. There is core teaching. There's core theology, this core understanding of the gospel, and that God brings us together around that gospel. And one of the beautiful things we do is, as church, we work with other churches in our areas who are gospel-centered, evangelical, who love Jesus, who preach the same gospel in scripture, in schools, or in uh, 
beach missions or and other ministries, we partner with others because we are one in Jesus. But secondly, he prays that the world may be persuaded. One of the power, uh, or the power that comes out of our unity is that the world sees that there's something unique about the gospel. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. So the winners of the church has two elements here. Firstly is the proclamation of the message, which is to be believed. No one can believe something if they don't hear a message. People need to hear the gospel to come to Christ. I pray for those, verse 20, who will believe in me through their message. So we as believers at Norway Baptist Church put out the message. We're doing it right now. We do it in our kids' church right now. Where um, We do it through our Bible study groups. We do it through our Easter services. We do it through gospel material. Uh, we do it through university ministries, through uh, gospel workers. And it's lovely to have Ado and Claire here who do that ministry over in Southeast Asia. And we support them. We pray with them that the gospel will go out. Someone once said, uh, attributing this statement to St. Francis of Assisi, he says, preach the gospel at all times, Use words if necessary. If you've heard that, forget about it. <laughs> Firstly, there's no evidence that he really said it. Secondly, it's wrong. Because you always need, need words to explain the gospel. And that's what we learn here. Proclamation, you have a gospel, you share it with others. And therefore, we have an evangelistic course coming up in May, exploring Christianity. We'd love for people to come, just explore the message of Jesus. And so many times when people have done that course with us, they say to me, I thought I knew what a Christian was, now I've realized what a Christian is. I thought I was going to get to heaven by my good works, I realize it's all the work of God's grace. It's all his work, not mine. So come, join us in that evangelistic course, invite a friend to come along, uh, and as they hear the word, their eyes will be open to the truth. But there is that second element, it is visible as well as verbal, relational as well as audible. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Friends, our love for one another is going to have an important impact on others. If people who aren't Christians come into our playtime groups or get to know you in the neighborhood or you live in the same street, when they watch how you live and how you treat other people, that can have a profound impact on them. And Bruce Milne writes in his exposition, he said, the biggest barriers to effective evangelism, according to the prayer of Jesus, are not so much outdated methods or inadequate presentations of the gospel, as realities like gossip, insensitivity, negative criticism, jealousy, backbiting, an unforgiving spirit, a root of bitterness, failure to appreciate others, self-preoccupation, greed, selfishness, and, other, and every other form of lovelessness. These are the squalid enemies of effective evangelism which render the gospel fruitless and send countless thousands into eternity without a saviour. The glorious gospel of the blessed God, which is committed to our trust, is being openly contradicted and veiled by the sinful relationships within the community which is commissioned to communicate it. And you just look at all that, you say, yeah, we'll see a little bit of that, a little bit of that. And we, we need to ask God to refine us and to make us more holy and more Christ-like. And that's why we've been working through the series together for his glory, that we do it in community and that there's power in that community. So we proclaim the gospel and we demonstrate the unity that comes 
in Christ. Friends, when we live together for his glory, with love and hospitality and compassion and acceptance, the world will recognize that we are Jesus' disciples and be drawn to Christ. Whether it's in youth or kids or families or seniors or craft or playtime or computer groups, wherever we go in Jesus' name, people will realize the difference. Thirdly, he prays that his mission may be completed. Father, I want those you have given me, I love this, to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory you have given me because you love me before the creation of the world. Jesus now looks forward to his second coming or to the death of the believers. Father, I want these Christians who I love, I want them to be with me. Don't you love that? With me is a language of love. Uh, Jesus is saying, I so love these people and all those who believe in account of my message. I want them to be with me in heaven. I want them to hang out with me. They're my brothers and sisters, you see. And that's why he died on Good Friday. So he can purchase men and women for God from every nation of the earth to come and be with him in eternity. That's why he rose on Easter Sunday. To guarantee that it works, that one day there is a future to come. Jesus longs for that day, we should long for it. Friends, one year ago today, Marlene Mansell, our sister, went to be with Jesus. Twelve months today. With Jesus, seeing his glory. Tutsi Karafalov died six months ago. She is seeing Jesus' glory too. She's with Jesus. Jesus has wanted them to be with him as he wants us to be with him. And they are at peace with him. And today would have been Tutsi's 80th birthday on earth. And we'll have a, a memorial, memorial service for her on Tuesday. But the good news is they knew Jesus. They were saved by Jesus. They lived for Jesus. And both these women were exceptional examples of godly Christian women had a profound impact on other people, their families, their friends, the church, the wider community. Because you see, they were in Jesus. And they knew that they're called to love and to serve and to minister. They gave their lives for the glory of Jesus. The final two verses, Jesus looks back over the time the disciples have been with him. Righteous Father, though the world does not know you, I know you, and they know that you have sent me. I've made you known to them, and I will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them, and I myself may be in them. 2,000 years ago, on the night before his arrest and crucifixion, Jesus thought of us and prayed for us. He prayed that the church may be united. He prayed that the church may be, or the world may be persuaded. He prayed that the mission may be completed, and his people would spend eternity with him. Let me suggest to you it's not a bad thing to pray for as we approach 2022, united, persuaded that we would go to be with Jesus. Let me pray. Lord God, we thank you for the prayer of your son, Jesus, who thought of us so close to his arrest, his suffering, his death. Thank you, God, that that reflects your heart for us, that you desire us to be with you forever, to see your glory Lord, we pray that we would be men and women who live united, that the world may be persuaded, and we look forward to your mission being completed. To the glory of God, we pray.
Amen.